Uh, thanks, Ryan. We're going to look at the Bible now. Um, so Kate's going to get close to the Bible. That's great. Um, so Kate's going to come up and read that for us. So my name is Kate. I'm a second year maths and computer science student, and I'm going to be reading the Bible. The passage is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 to 20, and it's inside your handout. Yay. Oh, <laughs> okay. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Our sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and are utterly estranged. Why will you still be why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed up pressed out or bound up, not or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate, your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and of the fashion of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon... New moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Afternoon. Welcome, everybody. Great to see you here. If you've been watching any of the news... In recent weeks, months, you'll know about the Royal Commission into Banking and Finance. It may not interest you personally, or may indeed interest you personally as well. You might be aware of it, and not know much about it. Some of the findings, and it's still ongoing, some of the findings are not very nice uh, and don't bode well for the rest of the Royal Commission for the rest of this year. In the area of financial advice alone, let us set aside uh, day-to-day banking, in the area of financial advice alone, 
in the cases that were examined, in 75% of cases, financial advisors had failed to comply with the best interests of customers. These are financial advisors connected with the big banks, the four, big four, plus AMP. Three quarters of people did not get the advice that they paid for. As with the Royal Commission into child abuse as well, it's exposed that those who have positions of trust in our nation, in our community, have abused it. They've abused it for their own gain. In the case of financial advisors, they've just given perhaps worthless advice so they can have a job. In the case of the Royal Commission into Child Abuse, community leaders who have abused their position and children especially for their own sick means and gratification, for their own desire for power. Those two Royal Commissions, there's another three that have happened in the last five years, about one <coughs> per year for the last five years, tells us that the nation has a problem when it comes to our leadership. Not necessarily our political leadership, but that may be the case, but leaders within our community. But come back to the one that we're aware of just more recently, the commission into the financial industry. For those uh, banks and for not financial advisors that have uh, been exposed as not doing their job properly, not treating customers rightly, not providing the right advice, uh, leading to loss, uh, leading to financial disadvantage for, for many, what should they do now that this has been revealed? No doubt more will be revealed. What should they do? Here's a chance for you uh, to have a think about it. You may never have thought about this at all. Your wisdom um, may not be great. Some of you may have thought about this a bit. Here's a chance to have a chat with each other. What do you think those who've been found responsible, what should they do and why? Just with the people next to you, around about you, I'll give you a minute for that. financial uh, world, maybe those that are doing business, maybe those that are doing uh, even financial planning. Ryan, what did you think? <laughs> 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 
Yeah. Um, so lots of like terrible stuff. Um, so I think so the first one could be people losing their jobs that have been found to do this. I think there was one case where um, they were charging fees to dead people, and they were like giving advice for like minuscule amounts of savings, and were charging like ridiculous amounts for that advice. So I think losing jobs. Um, better regulation in the sector. Okay, so losing jobs, better regulation. Who else thought heads should roll, people should lose their jobs? Yeah, okay. Who thought the opposite? No, they should not lose their jobs. Anyone? They should pay the money back. Don't get rid of them. Get rid of them. What are they going to walk away with? Why not both? Take the money and then make them walk away. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts beyond those ones? Anyone on this side of the room? Yes. Declare bankruptcy. Make them declare bankruptcy. Yeah. Yeah. And people would say, no, that's too easy. That's too easy. They walk away with nothing, but they don't have to. They're free to start again in seven years, is it? Yes, you're not planning on that, though, are you, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how do you repair? How can you pay back? In the case of the commission into child abuse, you can't even begin to think that there could be payment made and reparation made to people's lives. People who've lost their lives. Uh, what do we do? How do we as a nation respond when, it's, when our leaders are found to be corrupt? Community leaders. It's where the book of Isaiah begins, with the nation, with a nation that's failing in its leadership. It's where it begins because it's a book about a nation. It's a book about all nations and the future of all nations. It's a book about a nation, about all nations and the future of nations. And especially the leadership of this nation, Israel, is where it begins and expands and gets bigger. We'll come back to some of those questions. But Isaiah, as we start to look at this book, if you've never read it, never looked at it, it's a big book. It's a big vision. It's 66 chapters big. And we begin today, and we're going to work our way through it. Every verse in every chapter won't get examined, <laughs> but we'll work our way through it. If you're going to graduate at the, at the end of this year, then you can enrol in honours, uh, come back to another course. This is going to take some time. And we'll come back to the book of Acts that we've left behind along the way. I'm hoping you'll see the threads that join between the two. But Isaiah is a big book. Its time frame is also big. The shaded bit in, in grey is the time frame that Isaiah wrote to. The kings of Uzziah, the one at the top there, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, in the nation of Israel. Well, actually, what's become known as the nation of uh, Judah, because they are the southern tribe of Israel. And it focuses in on the time of these four kings. And over the weeks, we'll get to see something of the historical situation that Isaiah is in. Uh, not a great deal today. But also we see that Isaiah's audience is big. 
Look where he begins in chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. The book begins, well, Isaiah's vision begins by summoning heaven and earth, the biggest audience that can be mustered, to listen in on this, the happenings of this little nation, this tiny nation. The biggest audience is now looking in. And let's turn to see what all of creation are being called to listen to. And before I continue, I'm going to ask God to help us understand this part of his word. If you want to say amen to that prayer, then please do. Lord, we thank you for your word to us in Isaiah. We thank you that you've spoken to us. Help us to understand Isaiah's vision that you've given him. Help us to know how to apply that to us, to be obedient to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The creation called to listen. God says, Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. God has given birth to a nation. He's created a nation. His children. But they are less intelligent, less responsive than the dumbest of animals. The ox and the donkey who are the butt of jokes, even in the Bible, they're the, the butt of jokes where the donkey is. Even they know their master and can respond to their master's voice, the simplest of things, but the people who are called by the name of the Lord, they don't know him and they don't respond to him. They refuse him, they reject him. They don't want to know the one they call father. Why are teenagers embarrassed to be seen with their parents? Why is that? Why is it that the worst thing in the world that can happen is for your parents to drive you to school and drop you off when everyone else has arrived? <laughs> for some of you. Why is that? Someone might one day understand that. My gosh, you have a parent. Yeah. I never knew. <laughs> But these children have gone further. Verse 4, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who have dealt corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord and despised the Holy One of Israel. They've forsaken, it's the word for divorce. Israel have divorced their parents, their parent in God. So embarrassed by him they are. Have you ever felt embarrassed about identifying with God? If you are a follower of God? Have you ever felt embarrassed or would be embarrassed if maybe even some of your uni friends knew that you were here in the uni Bible book? Or would be embarrassed if they knew that you were at one of the faculty groups that runs throughout the week? Would you be embarrassed about that? I remember very early on at uni, uh, when I was at uni, I started 
and I started going along to the, the Bible study, the big Bible study at the uni that I went to, and I would quietly slip away from my friends, hoping that they wouldn't notice, and I'd go off to the, to the Bible study. And uh, one day, hundreds were massing around the door, waiting to go in, right there in front of my face. I didn't even realise until the last moment, one of my horse friends, and he saw me. <laughs> what are you up to? <laughs> I'm going in there. Are you going in there? Yeah, I'm going in there. Oh, great, let's go in there. <laughs> and we actually became really good friends for the next week, and he left for the following week without the uni. <laughs> There's that sense that all people think of me if I'm associating myself with God. What a bizarre thought. The maker of the heavens and the earth. The maker of all people. You identify with as you would be embarrassed about that. It's crazy what has happened to us. What has happened to the nation of Israel that they don't want to know and be known to know God. It's right and natural to grow independent of your parents. But Israel and us were never meant to grow independent of God. Uh, biological parents, obviously put there for your provision and nurture and growth. And you should grow independent of them. In case you're not sure about that, you should grow independent <laughs> of them in many ways. But you can never grow independent of the God that's given you life, sustains your life, and who you call Father. And Isaiah points to two barefaced realities as evidence of the accusation that they've turned their back on God. The evidence is sickness and ruin. You see it there in verse 5. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint, from the sole of your foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it of bruises and sores and raw wounds that are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. The nation is sick. They're actually physically sick, most likely. Physically diseased and harmed. Why? Verse 7, Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It's desolate as overthrown by foreigners. They've actually welcomed foreigners, we'll find out later on, to the nation of Assyria in, and they've ruined the country. They've ruined the nation. In fact, they've decimated the nation, and all that is left is just a few survivors in the city of Jerusalem. The one city that is left behind, the one city that survives, the rest of the countryside is decimated. And so they are left, verse 7, like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Everything else has been razed to the ground. Jerusalem remains as the only thing sticking out like a stupid sore thumb, like a cucumber patch. <laughs> and they're diseased. And they need to think, what's gone wrong? They need to actually... 
own up to the realities that are happening around them and think, why don't you spend some time thinking about what happened such that this could go wrong, so badly wrong. And so the Lord has called heaven and earth to witness and now he calls the accused to account in verse 10. The rulers of the nation, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. That's a word that he's using to call Jerusalem. Not a very kind thing if you know the story. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Two things they fail in. They fail in their religion. Verse 11, what is to me the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this of, required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. The law of Moses required sacrifices. And they're bringing sacrifices. Multitudes of sacrifices. The law of Moses required everyone to come to the temple to worship. And they're all coming. They're trampling the courts of the temple. Incense and feasts and prayers and assemblies were all required. And they're bringing them in their abundance. Probably because the nation's in such a desperate state, they're thinking, what have we done wrong? We have to go back to doing the law, to doing the sacrifices. Let's put all our effort and zeal into the sacrifices every day. Let's not whisk one of them. Prayers, let's gather together. And God is saying, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want them. Why? Verse 15. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Their hands are full of blood. They're trampling over the needy. They're trampling over orphans and widows. They're not delivering justice. They're harbouring injustice. They're killing people. God says, I don't want well-fed animals presented to me when you are not even delivering the basic justice that's required in the nation. I don't want prayers brought to me with great zeal when you forget the least in society, when you're not doing the job that you're meant to do. <coughs> the law requires you to love God and love your neighbour. And if you are a ruler and a leader, you've been put in the place of making sure that happens. I do not want your sacrifices while you bring them with disobedience and neglect. They're zealous for ceremonial law while willfully neglecting the purpose of the law. You can't fix sin with more religious obedience. You can't fix sin 
by just praying more. You can't fix sin by just upping your Bible reading rate. Never missing a day at church. That does not fix sin. You can't slander somebody behind their back and when someone points it out to you, say, well, I'll go and say ten kind things about them, but I'll never actually address the original slander. You can't fix sin by ignoring it. Imagine you get pulled up by a policeman for going through a stop sign without stopping. Just as a side note, that thick line on the road, you meant to actually stop at that to a full halt and then you go. Policeman pulls you up and says, you didn't stop at the stop at the stop sign, you went straight through it. Sorry sir, I'm having a bad day. You're right. I own up. I did the wrong thing. I tell you what, I'll go around the block a hundred times and I'll stop every single time and that will make up for it doesn't make up for anything, does it? Because every time that you go around the block and stop at the stop sign, you're only doing what you should have done that time. It doesn't make up for the fact that you've broken the law. Something else needs to happen. Something else needs fixing. The relationship needs fixing. Secondly, there's corrupt leadership. You see it there in verse 23. Your princes are rebels. The princes are the leaders. The princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. <coughs> Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord, might, Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. There's the leadership problem in the country. People are after bribes. The leaders, or at least the thieves, have made themselves companion of leaders. Oh, how often has this happened over the years? Uh, it still happens. Everyone runs after a bribe. Leadership is for the benefit of the people being led. If you are a leader, make sure you get that clear in your head. Even if you are not a leader and are ever in the position of appointing a leader, leadership is for the benefit of the people being led, not for the benefit of the leader. All they had to do was to do their job, their one thing of seeing those who are least looked after in society looked after to provide for the needy and the vulnerable. Instead, they used their leadership to gain mates, dodgy mates, to do dodgy deals, to bring bribes and disadvantage the needy further and serve themselves. And God says, the once faithful city, verse 21, has become a whore, she who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. The best thing they had going for them had become worthless. You can't honour your parents by abusing them. You can't honour God by abusing him and the trust that he's given. You can't worship God by corruption. 
the Lord is the Holy One of Israel. We're told earlier in chapter 1. Holiness matters. Holiness matters. You can be as religious as you like and still be corrupt. Holiness matters. You can't fix sin by ignoring it and saying, I'll just try better. You can't play it down. What's needed is repentance. Repentance. Verse 16. You'll see it. Verse 16. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds, of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. <coughs> yeah. I'll give you a moment again with the people you're chatting to. Ask this question How are they to be made clean? How are they to be made clean? I'll give you a moment. <coughs> Talking about ceremonial cleanliness, that was addressed. I was asking you the question. <laughs> How are they to be made clean? You can't ask me a question. Okay. Well, then I'll lock that one in, Eddie, and we'll go with ceremonial cleanliness. Ceremonial cleanliness. Yeah. So they are to do the ceremonies in order to make themselves clean, in yeah. order to be cleansed? Well, I think it talks about in the beginning of the Bible... Uh, when you're to come to God, you need to go through like a certain cleaning process. But I think it's also more than that. I think it's also talking about making yourself clean is in like deterring yourself from the corruption and not associate, associating yourself with that. And then trying to focus on like uptaking the case of the widow. Okay. We'll take the first thing first. We come to the second thing. Uh, the, make the ceremonial uh, cleansing. Who, who's gone with that one? Who's with it? Um, you've got no backup behind you. Oh, we know maybe one. Yeah. Um, who and then the second thing is hedging your bets. You yeah. actually, what was it? It was to just um, pursue the godliness in that sense. So, like, yeah, pursue what? Uh, make yourself clean by pursuing godliness. Yeah. Who's saying that? There's a couple more. Um, not many. Well, there's a few. There's a few of these. <laughs> um, conviction is high. 
Yeah. Um, could a being like make themselves clean like spiritually clean? I think spiritual cleanliness is very much on the cards. Yep. I don't think it's physical cleanliness that you're particularly talking about, washing of yourself, your body. But it's clear, isn't it? They're to make themselves clean. They're to make themselves clean. Yeah. How are they to make themselves clean? Yep. Verse 16, um, cease to do evil. Yeah. Cease to do evil and do what instead? Good. Do good. In this particular case, they are to do what? Seek justice. Seek justice. Yeah, you're just reading this out of the text, aren't you? <laughs> Fantastic. Is that possible? If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian believer for some time, don't you believe that you can't actually make yourself clean? We can't make ourselves clean. Or can we? God here seems to think that you should make yourselves clean, that we can. Is he calling us to do something that is just impossible? Or is he calling us to do something, these leaders, something to do something that is possible? I think he's calling them to do something that is possible. To fix the problems of the widow's cause and the fatherless and the injustice that's in their nation. I think God actually expects that they should do that and can do that. It's not every single thing in all of life that they will be able to master and get right but God expects that they will repent and change and that is cleansing themselves as a nation that is not how they become right with God they are made right with God because God has made them his children he's called them to be his children because they are his children he says make yourselves clean it's only what we've actually told to do in the New Testament when you come to passages like 2 Timothy 2, talking so much about ministry uh, of the gospel. In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself for what is dishonourable, cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful for the ma- to the master of the house, ready for every good work. The cleansing yourself in that passage is fleeing sexual immorality, fleeing from the pollution of this world, fleeing from the, being caught up in this world to Timothy. James chapter 1 verse 21 Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Friends, we are to be people who repent. If we call God our Father, if we are people of God, we need to repent and wash ourselves and do what is right. We're not thereby made right with God. But if we are right with God, then we follow the one who is the Holy One, 
holiness matters, what we do with ourselves matters, what we do with the resources that God has given us matters. Will we get it right? All the time? No. Do Israel get it right? No. Do they need to? Yes. Do we need to? Yes. And here is one of the questions that opens up the rest of Isaiah. I'll come back to the passage. The city will be called, this is verse 26, the city of righteousness, the faithful city. How can that be? How can it be that a city which has rulers who are sinful be ever a city of righteousness? How can this nation ever become that nation? Spoiler alert, Isaiah 66. How can this nation become that nation? Yes, they cleanse themselves, but that won't fix their inner problem. God says, I will do it. I will restore. Verse 26. I will restore your judges at the first and your counsellors at the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness. God will do it. God will act. God will bring his people to righteousness. Stay with us to learn how God does that for them and for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have shown us what you require. You've shown us yourself as the Holy One and you call your people to account to repent to be cleansed to act rightly help us to do that Lord help us to do that trusting in the hope that you will bring righteousness and have brought us to righteousness and we pray this in Jesus name Amen make sure you do come back next week for the next instalment, we're going to pray. Hi, my name's Jemima. Um, I will be praying for us, which is talking to God. So if you're comfortable, please pray with me. Dear God, sorry that we don't live for you as we should. Please help us to recognize our sin, to confess it to you and to turn away from it. Help us to be holy like you are. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die that we could be made righteous. Lord, thank you for everything that you provide for us. We pray uh, for next week, giving week, that uh, you will help us to be generous as you are um, and help us to be wise in giving to the Uni Bible Group. We thank you, God, for the girls' dessert night where we looked at forgiveness. Thank you for all of the women who came and thank you for the encouragement that we had as we learnt in fellowship. We pray for uh, our missionaries, SNK. We pray for a new small group study that's been started with seven new Bondra believers. And thank you that Kay is meeting up with one of these believers one-to-one. Uh, we pray that you will help them as they continue to learn language. And Lord, we bring before you the Christian uni- Union at Macquarie University. 
Uh, we pray for new evangelism prayer quadruplets and evangelistic faculty events, that these would encourage people to be speaking gospel on campus and to rely on God as they do. And we pray for all of these things in your son's name. Amen.